We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, welcome to the show. Today I've got uh, Andy Kincart from uh, Echo Cha. It's a fantastic artisan tea company out of Taiwan. Andy's been a longtime resident of Taiwan, longtime lover of tea. And so I'm really excited to have him here with us from Taiwan, where it's actually tomorrow, talking with us about tea. So Andy, thanks. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here and great to connect with you again after... Several years now. Yeah, it's been a while. That's how you showed up in my neighborhood. <laughs> I'll be there again soon, hopefully. Excellent. So you're the uh, you're the sourcing director out there at yeah. Echocha. That's uh, that's the role that I've come into in my present incarnation in relation to tea. Yeah, I, I uh, conceived of this brand name, which uh, in alignment with the Chinese version of the name, it would be pronounced Ecocha. Ah, which Ecocha. Yeah, the Chinese three words, uh, Ecocha, uh, basically means a sip of tea or a mouthful of tea. And that just phonetically aligned with the English version, which could be pronounced echo or eco, as in uh, ecology or ecology. Mm-hmm. And the the initial concepts behind this name and the brand that I've been developing for the last several years was to bring sustainable business practice into the local tea industry here in Taiwan. That was my intent and my dream upon returning here almost 10 years ago now. And especially in the last five years, this has been a project that I've been actively involved in. And when I first mentioned the English name to my tea mentor and teacher, Tony Lin, he just immediately responded in Chinese, oh, Ikota. And, ah. and it was, that was it. That was, that was the name that was meant to be. Yeah, perfect. So you're, you're doing something kind of unique there. Now, I know in Taiwan, there's, there's all kinds of tea. There's some organics. There's a lot of commercial. 
tell us kind of what your niche is there and and maybe even more importantly because this this show is about health and, and well-being and such how is it that this kind of tea is really different for a person drinking it than some kind of commercially produced tea well, that's a, a fairly large question, which can go in many directions. I'll start with the the process of, of really honing in on what I wanted to be about and this brand, what it would represent. So I guess I got serious about five years ago and, and enrolled in uh, an MBA program here with the idea of developing this tea company. Mm-hmm. And... Initially, as I just mentioned, my ideas were around sustainability and environmentally friendly tea farming practices, and then all the way through the whole line of business interactions to bring it to the consumer, to be transparent and and embody all that is involved with being sustainable. I've got a burning question here, so I'm just going to jump in for a second. Sure. We often think of tea as being this incredibly healthy drink, Mm. and yet... What I'm hearing underneath what you're saying here is that there may be some practices that are not only not so good for the drinker, but not so good for the environment. Exactly. So as I examine that more, well, in a nutshell, basically what I came to the conclusion about is that what already exists in the industry here as being relatively more sustainable is the traditional family-run farms that are privately owned and privately managed that produce tea on a relatively small scale. So that's what existed until about 20 or maybe even 30 years ago at the earliest development of a a more corporate involvement in the tea industry here where they saw it as a viable commodity and and uh, you know a profitable business and some big companies were developed in producing tea here in Taiwan, similar to what had been accomplished by the British in India. You know, really large tea estates using the local economy uh, to their advantage and all of that. Mm-hmm. So that that made me really happy, basically, uh, in short, because the traditional family-run tea industry is what I had become, what, what I had been exposed to and why my interest continued to develop in this culture here was that I just loved visiting tea farmers and sitting down in their homes and learning all about their life as a as an artist and tea maker. So to answer your question about health and and the environment, yes, the family-run farms basically they're smaller, they're uh, situated either the farmer's home is on the tea farm in in most cases or within walking distance or very close by. So there's, that stands in contrast to these much larger tea farms that have been developed that are in remote mountainous regions where people don't live per se. They're just using the real estate and the climate at higher elevations to grow tea and build tea factories on what had been undeveloped land. So that's been a controversial issue here in the last few decades in Taiwan about clearing mountain forest land to to grow tea and then these big you know large-scale factories being built in those areas too which obviously has an impact on the environment sure so does this mean things i mean i'm f- somewhat familiar with like the high mountain oolong teas which are very famous right mm-hmm. people really like to drink them so these more corporate factories is, is this 
where the high mountain oolong is coming from? And, and are, are there the artisan ones grown at a lower elevation generally? Traditionally, yes. And generally, probably yes also. Although high mountain is classified as anything over 1,000 meters elevation. And there, is, there are uh, small villages, many small villages um, that, are, that exist over 1,000 meters in elevation. And partially the, the development of the tea industry here in the last several decades has created small villages, not even towns, they're just kind of communities. But that is still in a less remote less well basically for example the one area that i live close to now is the shanlinshi area and they the government has a coding of the land the real estate there and they call it forest land it can't be developed people can own it and i think there there's somewhat of a gray area and basically what that boils down to in effect is that Tea has been planted there. They're supposed to maintain a certain amount of trees and forest kind of environment and not develop it to any significant capacity. Like, I believe there's a considerable number of tea factories that are technically illegal. The factories shouldn't be built on that real estate per se. Or are they the factories? The farmers have had to find ways to build the factories nearby enough to their tea farms so that they can harvest the leaves and get them to the factory for their processing within a reasonable amount of time. So that's been a complicated issue. But the my point is that there has been a significant amount of development on what is classified as forest land. So that's where the controversy comes up. High mountain tea. There are many places where the land is privately owned. People are living nearby and it's more of a local production of tea, even though it is also high mountain, as opposed to a more traditional tea such as Dongding Oolong, which comes from an, an area that's been inhabited for, you know, a couple hundred years now, prior to the Japanese uh, presence here anyway. Traditional teas did exist on lower elevations or what they call mid-elevation, like the Lugu area is from 600 meters elevation all the way up to 1,800 meters. And that whole area... Now, that's quite a terrain change, I would think. You get some really different kinds of tea. Right. So, obviously, 1,800 meters, that's high high mountain tea. That's the stuff that uh, Taiwan has become famous for. So, clearly, there's a difference between tea grown at various elevations, and there's also a difference between the larger plantation-type farms and the smaller, more artisan farms. Tell us a bit about what you're looking for when you're looking for a tea. My standards or what I have created as parameters in my own mind about sourcing tea is that I will not source tea from any farm that uses weed killers. That's the most impactful type of chemical agricultural product used. You know, it's killing, it's instead of manually trimming the grasses around the tea bushes and, and just grooming the farm basically manually, people are spraying all purpose weed killers uh, around the farm and in between the rows of tea plants, which makes it much less 
high maintenance. It's much easier to just spray that and then nothing will grow for several months and your tea farm remains manageable. That's not acceptable. That's what has turned a lot of soil to become acidic in the tea farms that existed several decades ago and which have either been abandoned or left fallow and now have been reconditioned. And that effort in recent, in the especially in the last 10 or even 20 years, farmers have acknowledged what's happened. It's ba- it basically was era or at least a phase of ignorance where these Western chemical products showed up on the scene. No one really knew what impact they would have. They just made farming a lot easier. Right. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Right. And so they've had to learn from experience. And now the sons of their, the, the fathers who employed these chemical products, you know, they had to basically eat bitter in the end with their with the results after 10 years of using them. And now their sons have grown up in a more educated and aware milieu, you might say, or just having the experience of growing up in that situation. And maybe they went and studied agriculture in university. They're coming back and are much more enlightened in that respect and responsible about inheriting, you know, their farm and and managing it. So that's a really exciting aspect. And a big part of what inspires me is when I meet these 40 to 50 year old family uh, parents who are running a farm, for example, now it's more often than not, it's a husband and wife team. And they're the local farmers associations and this organization called the Tea Research Extension Station in Taiwan, which is funded by the the national government's agricultural department. They've been very resourceful in just providing research facts and guidelines and all these kinds of things about how to responsibly manage the farm as well as to promote product and and make the, the whole concept and ideology of of having a traditional product of regional origin has been integrated into the into the promotion of locally produced tea here this is this is really interesting because it it sounds like there's been this cycle of we can get big we can make some money look we can use these chemicals and such and eventually realizing that you know the old ways that we used to do it for like generations smaller pay more attention uh, folks are just naturally gravitating back toward it. Exactly. And that's 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 what I'm trying to promote as blatantly as possible, you might say. You know, like I'm showing up on a, as a foreigner on the scene and saying, how much tea do you make in one day when you harvest? And, and putting parameters on that. Like, so typically I classify the tea that we have for sale as small batch, medium batch, because I'm not willing to sell what would be, what would classify as large batch tea or high volume production. I'm sort of trying to be modest and reasonable enough about it, and I don't want to get condemning in any way. I'm just trying to promote what I see as a relatively better quality and healthier and more sustainable product. Yeah, it's great. You've been interested in tea a long time, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I the first time I came to Taiwan was 25 years ago in 1989, and uh, within a, a couple of years, by 91, I was drinking tea pretty much daily. So it's well over 20 years now that I've been 
fairly committed to having Taiwanese tea in my life, particularly Taiwanese tea. I'm into all teas, but that's just the world that I've dropped in on. Well, that particular corner of the planet there in Taiwan does produce amazing tea. Well, not only amazing teas, at least in, in my short ex, you know, experience over a few years there, not just amazing teas, but I heard you use the term tea culture. And, and that to me is every bit as amazing as the teas, that there's this, there's this deep history. Tea, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like a social lubricant. In right. a sense, I can remember going and buying a, a scooter when I uh, moved back to Taiwan from Beijing. And, you know, as, I, as I'm hanging out there at the scooter shop and talking with the Laoban, you know, what are you doing? You're drinking some tea. Mm-hmm. How could you possibly do any kind of business or exchange any kind of money if you haven't sat and chatted for an hour or two over some tea? It's inconceivable, at least in my experience, it's inconceivable. And you can go, you know, you can go on Antique Street, you can go anywhere in Taiwan and... People have tea, and you're welcome to come in and just sit and talk and drink. You know, do you want to buy something? Yeah, you can buy something if you want, but, you know, the important thing is this, this way that people connect, and I mean genuinely connect yeah. with each other over this. Is it good for business? Yeah, it's not bad for business, but that's not the reason people hang out and drink tea. Right, and that was the initial charm and attraction that I had to it. Like every household that I went into, it was... Well, first of all, there's a lot more to it than just sitting down to a cup of coffee or a cup, you know, a cup of tea bag black tea, which is also great when you go to visit a friend and that's in and of itself fulfilling enough. But then to walk into Taiwanese homes and they typically have a designated tea station or a tea table, and it's somewhat elaborate, you know, it's like there's something going on here and and to slowly observe and become aware of the, the the process and what they call literally gong fu cha so it's 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 using the the word gong fu to describe a method of brewing tea hope you're enjoying the show i'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you if you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. You just used the term uh, gong fu cha, gong fu tea, which, which I speak a little Chinese, I get it. Could you translate that? For our listening audience, what does gong fu mean? Is it like kung fu, like you see in the movies? It is exactly that word. Yeah, now I'll have to resort to my intuitive experience of Chinese, more or less. I guess it translates... It's, it's not easy to translate, is it? No, there's a lot to that word, as, as well as most words in Chinese. But it involves something that to have gong fu is to have knowledge and skill about doing something. So you have a developed and what you might say a deep understanding of anything in particular that allows you to do something very well. And that goes from cooking to kung fu fighting to building or any art or artisan skill. And so gong fu tea 
Now that I say it, uh, when I just mentioned it in passing, it was in reference to the brewing method of tea. And that's probably the most common, commonly way it's used is uh, using a small teapot with small cups and a small pitcher. The basic method involved here is to put a, a con relatively concentrated amount of tea leaves in a small vessel and brew it for a very short amount of time pour it out and then have repeated brews. And that allows you to get much more of an experience of the tea overall. You, you taste it as it just begins to open up and, and be infused and to release its flavor and essence. And then all the way through the brewing process, the, the tea changes subtly in it, with each brew. Yeah, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's just this, it's a simple yet ingenious way of getting maximizing both the experience and the flavor of tea, but I think also perhaps the ingestion of the tea when you, you know, getting back to uh, more of a medicinal or health point of view to allow your body to experience what the ingredients of the tea starting from the taste buds and then going into your overall system. So when the tea is brewed incrementally like that, you're getting the initial uh, aromatic oils at first, a lot of volatile oils, a lot of fragrance and nuances, you might say, that your body wakes up to and is stimulated by in a, in a more subtle way. And then the, the real juice starts coming out, you might say you get more of the bitters and the astringent qualities that come out in later brews. So this is, stands in contrast to if you're just putting a, a tablespoon of tea leaves in a big mug, for example, and brewing that for five minutes. You're getting all of the ingredients by doing that, but you're not experiencing each step along the way separately. And I find that different. You know, I do too. And um, I mean, I make gong fu cha in my clinic. Because I like to drink it that way. And, and my patients will sometimes comment, oh, what a lovely ceremony you're doing. Right. And it's like, yeah, it, you know, it's not a ceremony. It's basically a technology. Right. And it, it's a technology that does exactly what you were just describing. You have immense control over pulling various constituents out of the tea, mm -hmm. which on one hand lets your body, yes, experience these different things. But it's also a way literally of having a conversation with the tea leaves and seeing what their character is and what they have to offer and what their, what their cycle is. You know, some teas, you can wash the leaves three times and, and basically they're done. You know, yes. they're like, yeah. they're like this amazing spring flower. It's here and it's gone. And then there's these others. You can wash the leaves 10 times and, and each time it's, it's like coming back and meeting an old friend after a few years they're kind of the same, but they're kind of different. You're right. It's it's having a conversation and then really getting to know tea. And I think another aspect of, of the gung fu tea process or the brewing process is the time involved. It's designated time. And, and that's where there is an aspect of ceremony to it. I think part of ritual, what, what I would, rather than use ceremony, when people bring that term up, I, I like to offer in response another term which I call a social ritual yes because that's what it is to me you're sitting down it's designated time and usually it's a more you know you obviously can have a, a brew for one which I often do but it's in this culture as most things are they're socially oriented and that's the whole aspect of 
of really the cultural aspect of it. It's there's art involved. The teaware is artistically made. Oh, it's beautiful. Presentation on the table is up to the person who you know. Who each person that you sit down at their tea table, it's going to be a different uh, aesthetic going on. And I've actually watched to to broaden the topic a little bit. I've watched my tea mentors again from the Lugu. Lugu is a small town that is where Dongding Oolong tea comes from, and it happens to be. Uh, a famous tea place, and the farmers association there is one of one of the main promoters of of tea and tea culture in Taiwan. And I was lucky enough to show up the first time, my first visit to tea country. I was introduced to this couple who have been actively involved in promoting tea culture in Taiwan since I met them, and before that, actually over twenty years ago. And they started a, a tea club, basically, 20 years ago now, called The Living Art of Tea, or that's how it would translate. What is it in Chinese? Uh, 生活茶会. 生活茶会, yeah, okay. So I've watched them found this club and, and develop it and, and also participate in their, in their annual or biannual events. And they, they make tea parties, basically. They choose a theme and they, they create a, a, a design and an aesthetic based on that theme. And it's local. The, the people that are members of the club are typically Lugu residents. And probably, I'd say at least 80% of them are, are from tea farming families. And they're just showing up and doing what they do at home in a slightly more formalized fashion because it's a tea party, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Th- They've kept that simplicity of social ritual and allowed it to become ceremonious enough, but it's still, you're just sitting down at a tea table and someone's brewing tea in a very fancy, relatively fancy way in that setting, but but it's still, there's no etiquette necessarily to follow. You're just, as soon as this tea starts being poured into cups, conversation happens, and then, you know, everybody's talking at once within 10, 15 minutes. And I'm thinking about the, my goodness, endless hours, it seems, I've spent mm. either at a, at, a, at a small tea party or just hanging out in someone's shop. Yep. And it's really about the connections of everybody being there together. Is the tea the center stage? The tea is like kind of like a glue, that holds things together. And, and so often my experience would be this stuff is delicious, but part of what made it delicious was the experience of sharing it with other people and the experience of getting to know people over some tea. Amazing conversations happen, and it really helped my Chinese. Right. And to, in my experience, in a nutshell, it, it has been my connection to Taiwanese culture here. My interface with the society here, other than my work environments, has been through tea. And my, so that's why I've continued to live here. You know, it's, it was about the tea, and yet this, this is really good stuff. And when I went back to the States, the first time I went back in 92, uh, to give a, a bit of roots to my, my whole history here, I went back in 92 and I moved to Los Angeles and I was looking for Taiwan tea to buy Taiwan oolong and I couldn't find it anywhere and the only place I found it available was in the Chinatown downtown LA there was a Tianren tea store Tianren 
is Taiwan's biggest tea company. And I bought what I thought was very overpriced tea and brought it home. And it was high mountain tea. It was Gaoshan Cha, but it definitely wasn't as good as what I was getting in Taiwan for a fraction of the price. That, within a year, it literally was a main decisive factor in my decision to return to Taiwan. And I came back in 93 and I told an American woman friend who was married to a Taiwanese guy here that I wanted to go to tea country and buy tea directly from farmers. And she's like, oh, call this guy up. And that was the beginning of my my life and tea. And since that first visit to Lugu, I've, I've just been captivated by it. And I think coming as an American and, and our, you know, this is a, a larger topic, but in my experience of growing up in America, there is a, an underlying, perhaps even unconscious absence of traditional culture. By definition, our society is, it has that being the melting pot sort of society that we are. And it took me a long time to become consciously aware of that part of what I was seeking in my interest in Asian cultures and, and travels through Asia and these more traditional societies that really I found compelling. And somehow I feel like I've, I've been fulfilled in that respect. I've, I've found a, a taste of traditional culture and, and become involved in it and to the point where it's steered my life direction. Certainly sounds like it has. And I'm awful glad for that because I can only bring so much tea back with me when I come back from Taiwan. And I really, I totally rely on you for this stuff. So so for our listeners out there, I don't think we've given your website and all that information yet. For those whose mouths might be watering right now for some you know, really genuine and amazing Taiwanese tea, what's your website? How do folks get in touch with you? Uh, www.ecocha.com. And that would be E-C-O dash C-H-A dot com. Eco hyphen cha dot com. Yeah. yeah and uh, my name is Andy and you can write an email to uh, you can go to the contact us button and click on that and send me an email with any questions or comments you might have. That'd be great. Now we're going to have we'll have all this information on the show notes as well for this uh, particular episode. I was just wondering do you have any uh, videos of how to how gongfu cha? How to make some some gongfu cha? If you do, we could we could put that on the on the show notes as well. That's funny. You're you're putting me on the spot in that respect. This has been something that we've been intending to do forever. Ah, great. So maybe it can premiere on uh, on everydayacupuncture.com then. Sure, we can set up a, a video chat, and I'll sit here, which I'm doing right now at my tea table, uh, brewing and drinking tea. Awesome. Okay, so I'll come back to you a little bit later, and we'll do that. That sounds great. That would be fun. I also just want to comment on your website. It's a beautifully done website because it shows you the tea. It shows you what it looks like in its still unbrewed state. It shows you what the, what the tea looks like in terms of color and consistency. And then really beautifully just like they do when you're hanging out with people drinking tea, they pull a few leaves out and they spread it out and they put it on the table so you, you can really see what the leaf looks like uh-huh. after it's been brewed. And, and you have all that on your website. So it, in many ways, it, it reminds me, I mean, it really has that sense of tea culture to it that it kind of takes you through the process before, during, after. You, you get to really experience the character of the tea. It's lovely. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair way to to present the product. This is what you will be getting and experiencing, uh, at least the visual aspect of it. Of course, what we're all after is the is the taste and the aroma and the actual visceral or physical experience of tea being in your body, which is what it comes down to. Again, to bring it back to a health thing, for me, one of the most essential and meaningful and beneficial aspects of orienting my life in tea is I truly believe it promotes health. My early experiences of going to Chinese medicine doctors in Los Angeles, actually, and them finding out in the process that I am a tea drinker, they, they said, well, how did you know that tea is the perfect thing for you? And I said, I didn't. I just, my body did. I didn't. Uh-huh. You just kind of followed along with it. Yeah. And uh, I don't have a, a proselytizing level of commitment to it, but it just makes me feel good when people come back to me and say, well, you know, I really like the taste of tea and everything, but I actually feel like it's improved my health and well-being on a daily level. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that makes you feel good. And what, what better thing to do? Absolutely. Just, and just a plug for that social aspect of it, I know that tea is good for you as well. The various constituents, there's all kinds of research and this and that. And enjoying it by yourself, of course, is wonderful. I've got no problem with that. But enjoying it with other people, having the company of friends, having the company of community, mm-hmm. that is another aspect that I think is often understated or we don't even realize it here in the States. But that sense of community and connection that comes from drinking tea with people you care about and sharing some moments of your life with each other. It's just good for the heart. I totally agree. And that's my favorite part of this role that I've come into as sourcing director. Again, it's, that's, that's all I want to do is go and visit the people that are making this wonderful product and experience their world because it's so simply satisfying and fulfilling. You know, every time I leave one of my tea farmer friends' houses, I'm just smiling and I'm happy. And you're up in the mountains of Taiwan on a motorcycle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good life. Yeah, okay. it's pretty good. I really, uh, I'm really glad we got to connect again, Michael, and I'm, I'm very happy to see that you're starting this whole new podcast production and I'm sure it's going to fly. I think you have a lot to offer in terms of of sharing this culture that we're both enamored by and and all of the enriching things that you've focused your life on with with Chinese medicine and and health-oriented practices. So good luck with all that. Thank you. And thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. I want to remind everybody again, it's eco-cha, but we would in English spell it echo, E-C-O-C-H-A. Dot com. Go check it out. There's some good stuff there. Do so. Send me an email. And send Andy an email if you have questions. And, and we're going to have him back on here really soon uh, with a little bit of video. Brewing tea. Making gong fu cha. Pao gong fu cha. Sounds good. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.